Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today our guest is Ken Baker. Ken has over 15 years experience in the equipment rental industry and has worked at companies like General Rentals, Force Access, and he's now the owner and managing director of Hide for Hire out of Queensland. Ken, thank you for coming on the podcast today. To kick things off, can you talk about how you got into the equipment rental industry? Yeah, a mate of mine uh, owned a company called General Rentals, uh, which became Force in Brisbane, and uh, he needed someone to come in as a state manager as they started to expand. So I he got me on board. I was just finishing up a role that I'd been doing with a company called Cutting Edges, which supplied uh, parts to the mining industry and, and uh, second-hand equipment market. Um, so I came on board. Uh, March 2006 to General Rentals and then Force. Uh, and then I was there three and a half years and got into Hype for Hire. Okay. And so you were involved with General Rentals. And how did that sort of form with Australian Skyreach and, and Force Access? Because eventually it all sort of become one company, didn't it? There was Skyreach per se. And uh, Charlie Coltabiano, the one of the owners, he went off and uh, he's, he had Sydney and Melbourne, I believe. And then Rod Leach, when they separated, took the Brisbane business. And then sometime down the track, Charlie Coltabiano bought out General Rentals so that he could have a presence in Brisbane. And so they couldn't trade under the Australian Skyreach name because uh, obviously Rod Leach had Skyreach. And that's my understanding of the background of it all. And then Charlie Coltabiano had bought uh, a lot of companies like All Star Access in Melbourne and Western Access, um, SA Access in Adelaide. And then they wanted to bring it together under one banner. So they got uh, Chris Goddard then got some marketing gurus involved and they came up with the name Force Access. Uh, there were different divisions. There was Force Sales and Force Corp was the overhanging company that uh, supposedly looked after everyone. That makes sense. And so because there was movements, I assume that's sort of how that position came up about for you to become the state manager in general rentals then. So because Chris Goddard, who had owned the business, was moving on to a role with uh, the senior company, they needed someone in there to run the day-to-day operations in, uh, in Brisbane and also, we were uh, having a look at a business, uh, Absolute Hire in Townsville, and a company in the Northern Territory whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, so I was looking after the three areas, Darwin, Townsville, and Brisbane. So I effectively started as a, as a state manager. And wait, so did you come into general rentals as the state manager with no prior equipment rental experience? Yes. Wow. So was that a, a challenge in itself? Because I'd spent 20 years with Borrell and spent all that time dealing in the construction industry, that was incredibly helpful because the, the sales and marketing of concrete to the sales and marketing of our equipment, you're dealing basically with the same people. So that was very helpful. What I didn't understand was that at the end of every month, you had this big rollover process of, uh, of billing and um, it took me some time to come to grips with that. And the uh, incessant paperwork, you know, and I'd gone from 
looking after about uh, 20 concrete plants and quarries and, and what have you, down to this business where we were looking at each individual transaction. And uh, so it was really interesting and, and uh, you know, it was a great training ground for when I actually got into my own company. That's really interesting. And so now you run and own Height for Hire. So, so what made you go into, your, into business for yourself then? My brother, who'd been in the mining industry, said, you've spent the best part of 35 years working for other people and uh, being general manager for other companies, state managers, regional managers, what have you. And he said, if you ever want to do anything in your life, you've really got to get into your own business. So um, he's my business partner and he's a very much a silent partner. Um, however, he got me interested in it. And I'd got to the stage where I had um, a huge personality clash with my, um, my manager at uh, Force. So we agreed to part ways in November of um, 2009. And by that stage, I was already had plans in place. So I was able to spend... Uh, a couple of months building up a business plan uh, for the go forward. And uh, it, it it really started from there. And I looked at a little company called AEA Access Rentals, which was in Morningside in Brisbane. Um, had about 55 machines. Some of them were uh, of doubtful quality. However, um, there was the basis of a business there. And we... Uh, I met a guy called Jeff Moresby who owned the business and, and the business was in, in a bit of trouble. So what I was able to do was bring some uh, marketing expertise uh, and sales expertise along with me, grab a couple of people that I knew and we were able to have a look at the business for a few months and then eventually we took over um, the huge amount of debt they had to be able to go forward and we had a, a bit of capital behind us to be able to start purchasing new equipment. And so now you're up to a decade of trading, yeah, or 11 years. How long, how long have you been in operation for? Ten, started trading on the 2nd of November 2010 in our own right. Uh, we were AEA Access Rentals before that. I think we took over the ownership mid-October, but changed the name on the 2nd of November. So effectively, we've been going 10 years and one month uh, as of the 2nd of November. Uh, that's our anniversary date. Very nice. Congratulations. So what was Height for Hire like on the 2nd of November in 2010 compared to what Height for Hire is today and, and sort of how that business has evolved and what, what you've really become? Oh, well, it, it, there's a number of amazing stats. We've gone from probably at that stage about four people when we started and I think we've got uh, 33 at the moment. Um, we're a business that uh, turned over about 750000 a year back in those days uh, to a business that will probably turn over around the $12 million mark this year, uh, this financial year. Um, it's gone from 55 machines to 700 and something. And uh, the problems get bigger, the, uh, the issues that we deal with are on a larger scale. There's uh, you know, a lot of the HR issues that uh, you get as you move from a, a, a small company to a small medium company that uh, we wouldn't have experienced in the early days. 
in the very early days, I used to do put every contract into the computer. I'd organise the transport, um, and other people had organised the mechanical stuff and input the results of their uh, servicing in, into the computer. But um, it was very much a hands-on role. And uh, even things like uh, at the end of each month, we'd uh, print out the invoices and the statements and uh, I'd take them home and uh, make my daughters fold them and put them in envelopes. And if any of their friends were around, they had to join in. Uh, it wasn't very much a democratic society in those days. Um, and then I discovered uh, that Base Plan had this facility where you could email out the statements and I, I did a bit of experimenting and I got one of my daughters who was wo then working with me to make sure we had everyone's um, email address. And with the greatest of relief, uh, we were able to start emailing our statements and invoices. And it was just, you know, because I hadn't had a lot of computer experience, it was just learning on the job and, it, and 10 years on. I'm still learning a lot of the things that uh, make the computer system work and uh, make it easier for us. Yeah, it's great that you sort of get that benefit and it sounds like your your daughter had a bit of a relief as well. So, so for the people listening, maybe do you want to talk a little bit about the breadth of your fleet? So maybe the smallest EWP up to maybe the largest and maybe some of the brands that you provide as well? We've got generally four brands. Um, Skyjack, to a lesser extent, we've only just started to get a few of their machines. Uh, we started out with some JLGs and Genies, um, and they were, in the early days, our prominent um, suppliers. And in the middle period, and until now, we've become a very big customer of Hawlett. Um, we have about 260 19-foot scissors, and then we have all the various scissors uh, up to 53 foot scissors, uh, rough terrains. Um, our electric scissor range goes up to about uh, 40 foot. Um, we have most of the booms um, up to 135 foot knuckle, 135 foot stick boom. Uh, although we're not huge at that big end of town, we do have a significant spread of machines. We have uh, six of our own trucks which are, are frantically busy. Uh, we do something like uh, 300 um, machine movements a week. Um, so our trucks are just uh, frantically busy. And we've been largely sticking with those suppliers. Uh, they've been very loyal to us. And um, we've been able to negotiate some good terms. And if it wasn't for the, uh, the, our suppliers, we wouldn't have achieved what we've been able to achieve so far. I've spoke about this in a previous podcast as well. And it sort of talks a little bit about how important those relationships are with your suppliers and your vendors uh, during the tough times and the early days of starting your business as well. Yeah, even more so in the early days, because when you're a one or two man operation, you've got to have someone to ring that has all the technical knowledge and, and what have you. You don't have the luxury of having a service manager that we, we do now. And um, so the information we sought was readily available from our suppliers and we're eternally grateful. And some of the relationships, best relationships I had at, in a you know, 45 year working career have been with uh, some of the suppliers that, that I have nowadays. That's great. And so, 
starting your own business, it'd be great just to give some insights to, to other people out there on some of the challenges that you went through in, in sort of starting your own hire business? I think in the first year or so, uh, the greatest challenge was ensuring that we had the cash flow through to be able to, to pay our employees and pay our suppliers. Um, and we had a very set task of never being late with any of our payments. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, one of the keys I always felt is that the government's always going to be after 10% of your money at, at the end of every month or every three months, depending when you pay GST. So I set up another bank account and every sales that went through, I transferred 10% into that bank account. And largely for um, the 10 years, we've had that buffer there in case things are tight. So we haven't had to dip into it too often and we still pay the 10% out of our normal day-to-day running account, but we still accrue money in the other account uh, for a rainy day or for things like we've been going through with COVID at the moment. Uh, You know, it was the ultimate safeguard as we were going forward. Uh, It became very difficult uh, as we grew to get transport partners that were um, that were one reliable had the same urgency that we had and so we've developed some good relationships in that area and then then we became a transport company as well and those suppliers still do our top-up work um, each week uh, and they're the same suppliers that we've used for 10 years so um, They've been very good to us. Um, we've been very loyal to them and we've always paid them on time. And that was one of the keys going forward that we just had to have enough cash flow to be able to um, to pay these guys. And touching on cash flow, especially in the EWP space, it's so easy to get caught into that discounting whirlwind. Like what's what's your thoughts on, on discounting in the equipment rental industry? I think from time to time, we're all guilty of that, Mark. Uh, I think we're all sort of, we see a yard full of machines and sometimes we panic. Uh, One of the things that I've been critical of our industry is the lack of uh, business acumen in that for a long time, we're generally run by salespeople and they'd go out and tell you that so-and-so's got a a, a really cheap price and we need to match it. Um, We've never tried to work in that uh, that area of the business. We try not to get into the the dirty part. We try to spread our customer base so that we don't get caught up in the the day-to-day price chasing. Having said that, you know, the prices have gone down a little over the years, um, but we're still reasonably happy with it because a lot of it's uh, my brothers and mine. Uh, I get cranky when someone <laughs> discounts too much and uh, so... I try to um, maintain control in that area. And um, I think that's probably been one of the keys for us as a business. Yeah. And, and really like the, the rental rates or the rental revenue, should I say, is is really covering the cost of your operation, whether it be staff or your location or maybe your finance on the equipment, uh, the servicing. And so if you are lowering those rates in the end, you're going to eventually lower your service. Yeah, yes, it is. And, on another area that you mentioned about about finance, we've basically kept our finance at the same levels. So 
we haven't been, a lot of companies just keep getting more and more in debt, chasing, uh, oh, we've got this job and we need these machines and go out and get them. We've had our level of finance and we don't go over that level and we pay it back. You know, it's the sort of thing that you pay back dramatically every month. And then if we feel that uh, we need extra equipment, um, we use that, what we've paid back as our ability to borrow going forward. So our debt levels never, never move. Um, sometimes we're lucky enough to pay them down a little. However, we've used that, uh, that credit available uh, from the banks to be able to um, grow our business. Yeah, very, very smart. So talk to me about how you think the equipment rental industry has changed in the past 10 or so years. In my time, there's been some, uh, a couple of bigger companies come into Brisbane and, uh, and really tackle the market hard early on. Uh, and a lot of those companies are back out of the industry. And, you know, one of the great uh, saviors I thought for the Southeast Queensland market was unfortunately when force went broke, um, there were about 700 machines in their Brisbane branch that went, some went to Coates Hire and some of them moved south uh, with Coates. Uh, it taught some people a, a lesson about going too hard on the price and it made, uh, it, made it a more sensible market. We're also lucky that there was a company called Rapid who had about uh, two, two or 300 machines that withdrew from the Brisbane market and another couple of smaller companies that uh, uh, folded. So we got some people that were um, really sensible for a period of time about pricing. That's not to say that we don't have problems now because there are some companies around um, and from time to time, us included, who uh, are too cheap. And uh, I think that our biggest problem still is the lack of knowledge of what it really costs to run your business. Um, I'm not sure that all companies really know where their money comes from, the breakdown of their earnings, uh, what you can and can't uh, give away. And um, I think that uh, if we could train a lot more people be not just salespeople, but to understand our business, I think we'd be a lot better off. Yeah, that's some great insight. Now, I want to talk a little bit about these trade associations, such as like the HRIA in Australia and the ARA in the US and Heinz in New Zealand. Now, instead of attending some of these events, you have formed your own group of like-minded equipment rental owners that catch up. So I guess, how did that form? And, and what weren't you getting out of these trade events? Yeah, look, I found the EWPA were an organisation that were very good for uh, their trainers, very good for suppliers, um, and had some really important people on their national committee like Coates and Kennards. However, there were very few people of those small to medium-sized access companies. And if you were to go to a, a meeting, you really didn't have a say in what was going forward. Um, and so I knew some like-minded people that some that I'd worked with in the past and some that I'd shared a, a, the odd beer and a bottle of wine with. And so I got together with those guys and we meet uh, potentially twice a year. The meetings are very short. 
we're open and honest about our business with each other. We have talked profits. Um, we talk sales revenue. We talk machine numbers. We talk about suppliers. We talk about uh, health and safety, all of those industry th things that affect us small to medium businesses. And we hope that we can give each other an insight into how we run ours and that we can pick up some information on how they run theirs. And look, it's been incredibly worthwhile. Um, we've been going probably three or four years now. And um, they're people that I would regard as very uh, close personal friends now because of this. And if we had a problem, we'd just ring up and, and ask for their help or if they needed equipment to supplement their fleet, we could throw things on a truck and get them there and, uh, and vice versa. We cross hire off each other where, where it suits us, um, but they're great people to deal with. It's great that you formed that, that group of people, but how do, do you think there's any way that these trade associations can provide that level of service or do you think it's too broad and generic, I guess, to sort of meet your needs? I, I think they can get uh, too deeply involved in policy and uh, and dealing with the upper echelon and trying to change the uh, the way manufacturers handle certain issues and uh, we can fall by the wayside. Now, the EWPA and the HRIA do some really good work. Uh, their training's been first class and, and all of that. However, when it comes to understanding a small to medium business, um, I don't find that part of it overly helpful. Uh, one of the, uh, the real problems that I believe are in the industry is uh, stand downs. Now, if I go to Hertz or Avis and rent a car, I can't stand it down. And I can't see why, as an industry, we would have something on our website recommending our stand down levels. If I decide to stand a machine down, surely that's the prerogative of the business not to be told by an industry's association these are the guidelines. Because everyone has this expectation now. And for me, I approach the EWPA about taking it off their website and they have no interest in taking it off. They, they believe they're providing a guideline to everyone. I don't want guidelines from the EWPA how to run my business. And so we agree to disagree. Yeah, stand-downs are a funny one. It's like, I wonder who the first person was that decided to just give away their equipment for a half day. And instead of just calling it a discount, they called it a stand-down and then it became a thing in the industry. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I'd look, it's, it's a thing that astounds me. Because uh, as I said before, I'm going to go to Avis and say, I want to stand it down. I didn't use it that much today. Um, and I know what they'll, they'll tell me to do, but uh, it's, you know, we have been, as we've developed the industry, we've become very um, compliant to the requests of our customers to our own detriment. Yeah, I agree. So, if you could give us some advice to your younger self, what would you say? Well, there's a couple of things. I would have started in my own business, if possible, a lot younger because I'm 62 now. So 
I've got all these ideas swirling in my head and it's, it's a question of um, how long you can keep doing and maintaining your enthusiasm to keep, uh, to keep going into new places and, and uh, allowing the business to evolve. Also, I think when I, uh, the first 30 odd years of my working life, I was really almost angry. I had certain expectations and I, and I put them across in a manner that I was probably uh, very rude to people, very abrupt. And uh, I think in the last 10 years, having owned my own business, even though from time to time I can still blow up, I think I've learnt a lot more about uh, um, how to get the best out of people, how to work with people a lot more. And even though from time to time my wife may tell me that I'm still very angry, <laughs> I don't think that's my normal persona. Wow, that's interesting. So do you think it's purely because you're running your own business or maybe you're self-reflecting more or maybe you're communicating better with others? Like, how do you sort of think that formed? Oh, look, I think it's just something that's evolved over over a period of time that, you know, if you're going to blow up all the time, people have the expectation that you're going to blow up and you don't, you don't achieve anything from it. Um, however, if it's a, a thing where you... Uh, limit the time that you blow up, I think you will um, you'll get a lot more out of it. I very seldom blow up with staff or anything like that because I d you don't achieve anything out of it. I think you're better off trying to find the crux of the problem, trying to work your way through that. So that's, that's changed me over time. And, uh, you know, I did in my younger days a, a little bit of Aussie rules coaching and uh, that held me in good stead about how trying to get the best out of people. And um, it's just been a, something that's evolved over the 45 years I've been working. Well, it's good that you've sort of had that ability to self-reflect and, and and notice that learning because it's obviously helping everyone that's sort of evolved with you over time and, and also in your business. So have you ever been involved in any sort of mentor program? Because I feel like you could offer a lot to maybe someone that's sort of getting into starting their own business. I've thought about it, but one of the one of the failings I have is uh, my ability to be consistent at something and to work through a problem. I I, um, I tend to work on issues that interest me and farm off those that don't, and have people now that try and follow up on my excuse me shortfalls. So um, there's one of the problems with me as a mentor would be. I lack formal education. So uh, the way I would uh, show people how to do things wouldn't probably sit well with the, uh, the typical MBA trained people that we deal with nowadays. But there's a lot of stuff that I have available in my working experience that I'm sure people could uh, take some of it and, uh, and receive some benefits from that knowledge that I've been lucky enough to pick up. I couldn't agree more. I think you could add so much value to providing some type of mentorship to maybe someone that's looking at starting their own business or it's been in business for a short time. Irrelevant of, of you meant, as you mentioned, an MBA or any formal education. I think that has no factor. I think I almost disagree on that point. I think you, you, you can't learn how to run a business in an MBA. So I think you, I, I, if I was you, I would definitely, if you're interested, 
figure out how you could potentially become involved in some type of mentor program because I think you can definitely provide a lot. Okay, so how do you define success and and what do you think was maybe a defining moment for you? Um, I know we're not out of the woods yet. However, to have gone through what we have so far with COVID-19 and not having uh, missed a payment, not having had to have a single person on JobKeeper, to be able to continue to have traded and and last couple of months traded really well, um, that's given me a a good feel about the business and and the way we've headed. Um, I, I also think that as you uh, become better as a business, you have a, an obligation to help out in the community. And we have a number of uh, key sponsorships that we're able to afford to do. And from that point of view, I think that uh, reflects on our success. And, um, you know, it's a company now that is recognised as, as one of the uh, better companies in the southeast Queensland market. Um, so I regard that as a uh, as a telling point of our success. And what about maybe a defining moment in your career? I'm not certain. I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about myself and, and what I've what I've done because if I go back to when I when I started, I was I was a, a truck driver and uh, with a company that became Borrell, and I worked my way through there to being a general manager, and then. Uh, I've been in senior management roles in various companies since then. However, it wasn't until I started working for myself that I realised some of the duties that people do at a uh, shopfront level or a workshop level are so really important. And from time to time, as you climb up uh, the corporate structures in these companies, you forget about those people and you forget about their achievements and and what it, what it means to them on a day-to-day basis to be working with your company and i think that um i think i've had time to reflect on that side of it more and i think that's been good for me but i i don't know that there's a defining point where i reckon i've that i consider myself a success i've I'm not even sure that I'm a success. I'm happy with what we've achieved. I know we can achieve a lot more, but um, what's the success? That's for other people to judge. That's a great answer. I really like that. And so to get to where you are today, you would have obviously been influenced by other people. Like who do you think was maybe a mentor to you or played an influence on your career? There's been a couple of people. I was fortunate enough to work with a, a guy called Robin town at Borrell. Um, he was a regional general manager and I was a general manager. And he used to let me, uh, leave me to my own devices and, and I'd run a business and um, I'd come in and told him, tell him what I'd done, not go there and seek permission. I always ran by the theory that you're better off asking for forgiveness than permission. So that's the way I conducted it. When I got into the hire industry, um, Chris Goddard uh, who had who was a personal friend? He was very helpful and in um, giving him the background in the hire industry and background with suppliers and things like that. 
Um, my eldest brother has been a great mentor to me. Um, uh, and I think they are the sort of people that I reflect on. And also probably one of the best is my wife because every time I'm getting too big for my boots, um, she's honest. She'll tell me that uh, there's better ways of handling that, Ken. <laughs> That's great. And, and I heard you mention earlier that your daughter or daughters were involved in the business or so truly is a family-run business. Like, what, What's it like running the business with your family? Well, initially, my wife was a big part of our business. Um, however, she chose uh, to move on. Um, my eldest daughter, when she was studying law, used to do three days a week with us. And um, so it was a great delight to start working with my daughters. And then my middle daughter came on board and I worked with her on and off for um, five or six years. And then she went to the United States for a while and uh, is still there now. I hope she's home shortly. And then uh, my youngest daughter joined us about uh, June of last year, and uh, she's uh, 24 and a half, and she does payroll and accounts payable and uh, jumps on the hire desk every now and then. There's not too many guys that can say they've worked with all of their kids, and... Uh, I've enjoyed every moment of it. Uh, it's We've been able to have uh, really develop our friendship through work that sometimes dads don't have with daughters. And um, it's, it's been an, an ideal way for me to, um, to uh, round out my working career, being able to work with them. What an amazing way to end the podcast. All right, Ken. Well, I really thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Mark. Please like, share and follow the Rental Journal podcast and I hope to see everyone in next week's episode.